Hi, I'm Damon Frank, and you're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a recovered life discussion about creating your weekly sober game plan and strategies on how to live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now, let's jump into the discussion. Okay, welcome to Recovered Life Discussions. My name is Damon Frank, and I'd like to welcome everybody here. I'm going to be joined shortly by my co-mod, Christina Dennis. Uh, And every Monday, we come to you guys with a new Recovered Life discussion uh, that is part of the Recovered Life community about planning your sober week. So what we do in this, uh, what we do here is we discuss in this discussion, we focus on how do we put together a sober week that's going to work for us? What did we accomplish last week? What are the things that we're working on? What are the things that we're thinking about regarding this week in sobriety? And here's the thing. This is not for people who are just in their first 30 days or in their first year. This is something, obviously, that everyone in recovery should be thinking about, which is, hey, what are those things that I need to be working on in my recovery this week? This is not something that has a time of sobriety date attached to it, right? This is something that everybody needs to do. And I'll just tell you from somebody who's been in recovery for several decades, uh, if you stop doing this, if you stop asking that question about like, hey, what do I need to do this week in my recovery? I think you're going down the wrong path in my opinion. I think that that the importance of asking that question every week or every day, really, it's like, hey, how can I, what should I be working on? What worked? And also celebrating the things that worked. So many times, guys, what we do is we look at the things that aren't going right and we ignore the things that we have achieved and that are going really well. So it's a it's a twofold thing have to identify the things that we need to work on that we could do better. And it's also celebrating the things that have really worked for us and that we're accomplishing. So that's what we do in this room. I'd love it if anybody could want to uh, ping in uh, people that uh, might want to uh, you know, enjoy this topic, that might enjoy this topic and might get some benefit out of it. What's really great is when we recover together, it's always a better situation. And I would like to welcome uh, my co-host on Planning Our Sober Week, Christina Dennis. How you doing, Christina? I'm doing great. I'm tripping out on the black. Um, haven't been here for a while. So doing well, Damon. Uh, very What's... happy to be here. My skin well, is all black. It's very interesting. Hi, it everybody. Is. Night mode, I think. Well, we were just talking about Recovered Life. We were just talking about planning our sober week. We've got some people that have joined us here. Before we bring people up on stage, uh, there are a couple ground rules for the Recovered Life discussions. They're super simple. Uh, One is because we do record these discussions, we do record them and they're played back. 
here on Clubhouse and on our podcast, we do request that you use people's first name or you refer to yourself by your first name only. Uh, you know, we do that just for privacy for people. And we just ask that you respect that. Except for Christine and I, you could use both of our names. We don't care. Uh, so that's, that's ground rule number one. Ground rule number two is be positive and kind and loving when you're talking about someone else in the room. Look, uh, there's enough negativity in the world. We don't need to drag it in to our recovery, right? So just be a good person when you're talking about other people and refer to them in a positive light, right? Um, look, this room, Christina, I was just saying is all about planning our sober week. And I was saying that it, planning our sober week doesn't have to do with the amount of time that we have, right? Everybody should be planning their sober week. What worked, what didn't. And not only, Christina, I think, um, heightening the things that we need to work on. Like we identified today about egotism, right? Like being, be, being uh, having too much ego we were talking about on the show earlier. Yes. But it's also the things that are going right in your life is to celebrate that. It's like, hey, you know, I was had a codependent thing, uh, let's say that popped up last week, and it's like, hey, I didn't deal with it the same way. Let's celebrate that, right? So true. It's really, really good. And just to remember, get grounded. I know it's not Monday morning for everybody, um, but I think Monday is a very special day for us to stop and say, okay, what is my intention this week to live with? And connection is the purpose of us being here. And I hope people will come up and share what they're doing. I had a, a beautiful weekend with my son. I rested a lot and that's unique for me, Damon. And I'm looking forward to this week and getting started. We have some great discussions coming up in uh, the room. Uh, tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday, and I'm just, I'm excited to be here. What's some of the stuff that's on your game plan this week in your recovery, Christina? Well, I have, um, I always, uh, I have two, two groups that I join um, for recovery in which I am one of many, not leading the discussion on Wednesday and Sunday. And uh, in between participating in the recovered life discussions is something that's very, very important to me. Uh, also, uh, self-care, meditation, grounding. I have kind of, you know, broken it down to every day, this is what it looks like. And it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable for me to take care of myself. And in between that, it will be about connection. How about you? What do you have planned? Well, you know what? It's uh, uh, getting back to basics, I think. You know, um, that's always for me. I always tend to take on a little too much, right? And no. then I forget the basic self-care. So I do. You're kidding. I do. I know it's shocking. It's shocking. It is shocking. But, but I do. I take on a little too much. And you know, I noticed something this morning. Um, I always tell when I'm working with people that are new to recovery that the first thing that they need to accomplish every day, and if it's the only thing that they accomplish every day, is to make their bed. And I've had people freak out about that. I'm going to be honest, like literally lose their mind. Like I wouldn't talk with them unless they've made their bed and they'd have to take a picture of their bed, send it to me. And do you know why, Christina, I found that to be so important? Tell me. Well, I think if you can accomplish that, it's one thing that you've accomplished. And if you can stick to that 
you're going to be able to take on basic, it's just basic self-care stuff, right? Like make your bed, brush your teeth, take a shower. Like, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people, when they come into recovery, that's a struggle. That's a struggle for them. Sure is. It really is. Uh, you know, there's a famous talk, um, goalposts or something that's always on social media that talks about starting your day with making your bed. And, uh, and so there's something to be said, whether you're in recovery or not in recovery for doing that and setting it right. And that's kind of like, you know, all of my self-care things that I participate in, you know, whether it's a workout um, sitting outside, doing my grounding exercises, meditation and journal, those, those have to be non-negotiable. Otherwise I just, you know, you know, another thing that I also have been working on is not looking at my phone first thing in the morning. Ooh, that is so good. I love that. Like we should just do a whole, well, I think we did a whole episode about the phone, right? About yep. this whole ADHD thing with constantly being plugged in all the time. You know, it's interesting. One of the goals that I had this year was to set my phone down and to do activities where it's not, I'm not plugged in, turned on and being a consumer of stuff, right? Good, you know, I mean, to a certain degree it's good, but I did find out that I'm addicted to devices. Yes, the hyperarousal. Yep. Totally. And we, we did a whole episode on this in a recovered life show because um, I don't think I'm the only one, you know, I mean, you share too, that it's hard sometimes to put it, to put the phone down. And what COVID has done is it has totally ruined this whole thing with boundaries, with time and space boundaries. <laughs> right. How do you deal with that, Christina? Like, if that's one of the things, if you feel that you've been too plugged in, what do you do? You know, I, I have a curfew at night for my phone. It goes on do not disturb, gets plugged in somewhere else, um, which makes a big difference so that I don't see it. And then I have um, a, an old fashioned alarm clock and uh, I have things that I have to do before I look at it. Um, and after a while, I can tell you that the release of having it called to me um, was really worth it. It was hard at first, but it was really worth it because I had this huge habit <clears throat> of getting up and consuming things, you know, and seeing what was happening and not really giving my brain or my soul or my heart a chance to actually show up. And so now I really treasure it and I don't mm. look at my phone before 7 a.m. And that might seem early. I use my phone for work, so I do have reasons that I have to be on it. But uh, other than that, um, you know, I, I have it. I have it put down. I have it put down. I work at a laptop now. Not well, one of phone. my one of my main things that I am working on this year, and it's I have a good friend that we're in the old school group together. And he is a big anti-multitasker. And I will tell you, um, I tried this because I thought I was mastering multitasking. Nope. And people would say like, hey, well, what does this have to do with your recovery? Well, I'll tell you my attention to things. And you know, I'm really big at execution. I mm -hmm. do a lot of things. I'm a doer, right? I'm a doer. I'm not somebody who just talks about doing things. I actually do things. 
And the thing is, is that I found that I was getting, doing a lot, but getting not a lot done, right? That I'm stalling out. Like I, at the end of the day, I would find it's like, you know what? I haven't really accomplished what I feel that I should accomplish. And sometimes feeling what I should accomplish is a little all over the place because those feelings, you have to make sure that they're realistic, but really things that I should have done just not really working out. And the reason why is because I was multitasking. Definitely, definitely. It's, you know, scientifically, we now realize that it's a fallacy to think that you can multitask. It just means somebody has the ability to switch back and forth. And I have found that if I don't protect my nervous system at all costs, I can't do any of it well. I, I can't do any of it well at all. In fact, if I'm having, I did this yesterday where I had a whole bunch of things flying out. I have this one card stock, um, like note cards that I use. And I literally got off my treadmill and went and wrote down everything I needed to do and cleared everything else off the desk because I, I too many things coming at me wasn't allowing me to be effective. And I had to go old school and use pen and paper um, in order to just have a nervous system that could even engage because it gets in the way. Can we talk about this a little bit, Christine? Because I find that, you know, I made a comment that I did. I traveled to the Pacific Northwest uh, this weekend and uh, we had a little family event. I was in the Pacific Northwest and I felt myself, I was talking with some family members and I said, you know, I feel my nervous system is very chill right now. Right. Like I felt like I was, you know, um, relaxed. Right. And I felt like I could take in information, disseminate information in a very clear manner. And that might have just been the weather or the light or whatever. I know I'm very sensitive to that. But I found that in recovery, this whole idea of healing our nervous system and being able to set us up for a situation where we're not constantly feeling bad, unhealthy, and barraged by thoughts is really the key to happiness. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yes, and, and first of all, a lot of us, I mean, I certainly was this case, didn't even realize it. You know, didn't even realize that I was in alarm all day long. Um, and, you know, I've struggled with anxiety and depression. Uh, one of the things that I tried to treat uh, with alcohol um, and we all know how that turned out. And uh, when I started recognizing that the autonomic nervous system needed to be paid attention to um, and really had to get deep down into studying it was with my son's diagnosis because I could see on the outside of him what was probably happening to the inside of me. And it really taught me over you know the last 17 years that if I don't attend to it, I, I'm never really in my body. You know, that's one of the things that autism reflects is our children are in pain and they can't get into their body. And I really identified with that. And I think that it's great that we are talking more about it um, for sure. But uh, the whole idea of ignoring it, you know, feel the fear, do it anyway, or some of the other things that I could have latched onto and attached my own meaning to them to avoid feeling, you know, I, it, it wasn't going to last. There was no way I was going to be able to heal or get anywhere without first addressing that alarm. You know what? That's something that I ignored 
uh, for a long time. Now I kind of crave it. You know, I was going to say one of the things that I know I'm not on the right path, and this is something that we were talking about earlier in, in my life, Christina, because we just talk about life and what's going on with us, right? And, you know, I had some drama come up, and drama uh, really affects my nervous system. I found I'm not somebody who does well. Now, this is so weird. This is a catch-22, right, Christina? Like, I'm great in crisis, but then it affects me later, right? Sure. Yep. So it's weird because I think this is kind of a catch-22 with people. And I'd love for you to dig into this because you're an expert at this, right? I'm a novice at it. I'm just somebody who notices it. And I've got tools to be able to use to be able to, to, to be more productive and to kind of let go of some of that. But you, mm -hmm. you really kind of focus on this in your work. One of the things with this whole thing with drama, with just this whole thing is that we do so well, people that are in recovery, do so well with it. But as the more and more recovered I got, the less well I did with it. I was mm. somebody who liked a lot of change. I liked a lot of drama. And then when I get in and you get a little recovery, it's like, this makes me feel like crap. Right. Right. Well, I mean, uh we know in addiction that we have an addiction to excitement. Um, we may not want to say that, we may not want to look at it, but for me, and I think most people, it comes from, uh, from trauma, you know, which we have a lot of conversations about trauma in these rooms. And it's a way of life. Like we don't know what it feels like not to be in a trauma response. And what ends up happening from a physiological standpoint uh, when you're shooting cortisol through your body every day um, and you're in trauma is that things fatigue, you know, the price gets paid eventually. And, um, you know, I was eight years sober looking, you know, with my, my son in a diagnosis and my adrenal glands were shot because of the stress. And so I couldn't dig in anymore to make it happen. I mean, I had to surrender to the physical um, that was my body was trying to tell me. And if we don't pay attention to our body, it gets louder and louder. And so it has to be part of everybody's mindset in recovery eventually, even if it's not the first few years that we have to pay attention to it. I mean, I was exhausted from drinking, slept for the first couple of years, if people can relate to this, felt a lot of shame about sleeping, but I had two speeds, you know, dead tired or overrun by duty and things that I had to do. And eventually my physical body said, nope. And I mean, I was 36 years old and blood sugar was at 35. I was having seizures. I had to look at it. And so, uh, you know, we can't get where we need to go. We can't even access our prefrontal cortex if we're in alarm. And so, so I think it's good to have this kind of conversation. And for me, self-care is literally, it's not extra. It's absolutely, absolutely uh, in, integrated in my body. Like I have to do it or I can't show up. So um, I'm saying this as a cautionary tale. If uh, you're an overdoer, an overachiever, um, and want to move past that, you know, don't wait till you know, don't ignore that anxiety. 
I mean, talk it out, get some help, get some people around you and make, you know, making it more common for us to talk about our mental health has to be, I think, one of the major motives I have in this room and in all the rooms. Exactly. I mean, the, you know, what I noticed that's so interesting with the nervous system, Christina, is that the, what I'm going to call the charge up, right? Like, and I find the trigger for this is people. Like in codependent relationships or relationships, unhealthy relationships will trigger this more than anything where I'll feel that my whole body will go, right? And you might have feelings of guilt, remorse, shame, anger, all kinds of stuff. And it kind of, does that make sense? Kind of boosts, it, it just kind of boots up yes. your nervous system. And yes. I've learned over the years is like to identify that feeling to say, okay, I need to power down that now. I need not to do it. But I find that the more you, you work on this, you'll go through stages where you'll start to boot that up, that feeling, and then you charge it down. Boot it up, charge it, right? This, this constant cycle. And you know, I know my goal has always been is like to get off that wheel, right? Like you don't even wanna get to the place where you start to, your nervous system starts to get charged up like that. Yes, eventually, eventually you start to recognize it, but we have to be connected to begin with. And you mentioned that you were really great in crisis. So was I, and because I had learned how to disassociate so well from what was happening that I could and have in fact evacuated a building on fire. You know, being able to do that was survival, you know, and that disconnection doesn't allow us, you know, the, the stress is still coming in, even if we don't feel it. I've been doing a, a workbook out of ACA called uh, Your Own Loving Parent or Becoming Your Own Loving Parent. And they talk about anger because we primarily work, uh, we're now in the section where we're working on your inner teenager. And I, I do a lot of work in inner child and I, I discovered something for myself that I was much happier tending to my inner child. It was much easier for me to be nice to, you know, little second grader who was struggling and that by the time I became a teen, like many people who live out of trauma, um, I didn't have those teenage years, but that anger that I had, even if I wasn't willing to feel it because they talk about the three patterns um, of, you know, ACOA uh, inner teenager and the three different ways that we learn to cope with it. Um, and I identified with two very well, even though I wasn't maybe acting out in anger, I, anger was still coming in. It was still there. I just had disassociated so well that I didn't feel it. And so that's what makes us good yeah. at crisis. Yeah, it really does. I mean, guys, you're in the recovered life room. We're having a recovered life discussion about planning your sober week. A lot of great topics here today. Um, I'm going to pin a link, and also for people who are listening on the replay, you can go to info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. You can connect with Christina Dennis. You can join Recovered Life, the community where we have discussions like this. And you can also connect with me. Uh, Tiffany, welcome. Uh, so glad to see you and to see your picture here. And uh, can't wait to hear what you have to say about planning your sober week, what you're doing, the nervous system, any of the topics that we've got out. How you doing, Tiffany? 
Oh my goodness. Can you, first of all, can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> Sound check. Can you hear yes, me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Hear you. Oh, still good. Okay. Yes. I used a new um, earpiece and I, and sometimes people are like, can't hear you. So thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. Both of you. Thank you for having it. Um, I really am picking out that piece about, well, all of it, but a few things, but talking about it, right? First of all, just shedding light on these subjects, shedding light on these subjects. Like let's, you know, that has been kind of my, my focus in this past month really has been that like, it is so important to put things out there, the journey, right? Not just sharing our highlight reels, but truly sharing our journey as it is, as it unfolds for us all, right? Because, you know, every week is a new week. Every day is a new day. And, you know, um, I think the more that we can all start to feel and, and share our truth that, you know, it's okay to not be okay, uh, the better we will be because and that for me, that kind of circles back around to that central nervous system stuff that you were talking about. My MO was certainly to stuff it. My MO was certainly to, you know, to numb it and, and to not feel it. And, you know, when I first heard in, you know, um, got sober and heard that fear is, used to be uh, forget everything and run and now my fear how i i live in with with fear is face everything and recover and i that you know was kind of the i remember when that phrase sunk into me feeling that aha moment where I hadn't, you know, you talked about anger, Christina, like I, you know, wasn't, I was afraid. I was afraid to feel feelings. I was afraid to show feelings because I didn't know what was going to happen. If I showed anger, if I felt anger, I knew what happened, you know, in the household that I grew up in when people were angry and I didn't want that, you know, and so I would try to to deny and ignore and and the more I did that the more sideways it would all come out and obviously and not obviously but I, drinking was you know just such a huge piece and, and people would talk about like that they were self-medicating and I would hear them say that and I was like oh well I didn't really have any physical problems I was self-medicating for right but it was all the emotional, you know, pieces that I was really self-medicating for. I was self-medicating when I was drinking, you know, um, and that awareness is, uh, has been empowering as well. And then, you know, the back to the bed, make your bed. I love that, Damon. And um, it is it is that famous. It's like this Navy SEAL gave it at his graduate at the graduation speech, and it's so empowering. I actually have it um, on my list of things that I my motivations in the morning, how I begin my day and I end my day with like bookending kind of meditations. 
and his speech is one of them that I have keyed up for the morning. Um, you know, and he's like, you know, if you go back at, at bed, you know, to the, your bed at night, at least it's you're going back to a bed that's me. So no matter what you've done that day, right? Like you're going back to that bed that's made. And I love that. It just feels um, such truth and power in that. And those are the things because I didn't know how to take care of myself or that I needed self-care. Um, one last thing is I remember being newly sober and going to a women's group. And this woman was talking about how joyful she was. Now, this is funny. It was definitely pre-pandemic. It was, you know, a few years ago. But she, the woman was talking about how excited she was to go back to her, um, her closet full of toilet paper. And I was, you know, a single 27-year-old that was like, oh, my God, that is so lame. Like, that is what that woman wants is, a, you know, her toilet paper is making her happy. Like, oh, but I get it now. Right. As I stay sober, as I, you know, as my nervous system does kind of calm it down, I do seek the calm. I do seek the ways to not engage with the drama, but remove myself from the drama and trying to keep things right size today um, is really, really empowered me. And so that's what I'm going to do this week as I plan my sober week, is try to keep things right size. Not ignore them, honor the things that are happening, but keep things right size. And I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you, guys. Oh, Tiffany, that's one of my favorite uh, phrases that came from uh, 12 Steps and how to be right size or not better and we're not worse. And, you know, I love that you bring up, you know, feeling the feelings. There is, I think sometimes, um, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll hear people say this, uh, this, you know, my best day, my worst day here is better than my, you know, I don't know, best day out or something like that. I'm, I'm not doing very well explaining it. But I don't think that we get sober to put on the blinders and pretend that things don't happen. There have been plenty of things that have happened in, you know, my years not drinking and in recovery that deserve to be, you know, grieved and deserved, you know, to have that. There are things that have shown up that I'm angry at sometimes. And I too was really, really afraid of showing my anger because I didn't know if it would stop. And because it wasn't, it was never safe to have anything um, I was keeping myself to have any anger. I mean, it was never safe in my home. It wasn't allowed. It was crushed. I just kind of thought, well, I don't have a point. You know, I don't get angry. I get even. You know, that was my mindset. But I was angry. I was really angry. And I, I know it's not a fun feeling, but it doesn't go away just because I disassociate from it. And so I love that you said, I, I feel them in an appropriate manner. Um, I was reading something recently. I can't remember what it was, but it was talking about over-identification. I used to uh, set up, I either didn't feel them at all, or I would set up and, you know, start decorating the scene, you know, decorating the pain. And they, the right size, 
is the key and having people in our lives that we can share and become current with and still have the parameters of self-care and service and all the things that we learn when we're in recovery is is paramount you know i was isolated when i drank i was the loneliest person with a hundred friends in a room right but i nobody knew me and now the connection that i have with people the ability to walk into any room and somebody uses the words that they're in recovery tells me okay they've been where i've been or they or we share some common humanity and now i can show up and really be seen not the not the person that i depicted i literally made up a character from an ayn rand book about objectification and and thought i can be this person you know atlas shrug i can be dagny tatner and i couldn't that wasn't who i was i'm a feeling sensitive sometimes angry person um, and as drama stopped showing up because that happens in recovery our drama starts to not show up and i started learning how to actually live inside myself and be myself i didn't need um, my codependency drama either so i love that everything you shared thank you it was so good thank you so much tiffany and um you know i think christina you highlighted something that's important that this whole idea that this idea that once now that we're in recovery, once now that we're sober, once now that we've identified the codependent relationships in our life and are working to solve to fix those. Right. It, we somehow think it's like, OK, well, I'm not going to experience anger. I'm not going to experience pain. Right. Like I will somehow transcend that. I found that not to be the case. I think the question is what you do with it, right? Um, and I don't think that anger is always unhealthy. I think sometimes that anger is good in recovery because there are some things to be angry about. The question is, is what are you going to do with that anger, right? How are you going to handle that anger? Anger is going to come up. Um, you know, the other thing that you mentioned that I thought that was so good Christina, was this, this whole thing about these experiences that we all have, right? And Tiffany, you, you mentioned it too. I think I found one way that people that I myself have identified the things that aren't working for me, especially with keying off my nervous system, is early on in recovery, understanding that I was attracted to hanging out at the crime scene. And what I mean about that is that, like, I would hang out at the crime scene. Mm, I would, right? I would tell people, like, this is what happened. This is my interpretation of what I think happened. I would spend way too much time at the crime scene. Even though they had built the chalk around the dead body, they tagged everything, they've scooped the person up, and, and everybody has left, I'm still hanging out at the crime scene analyzing this and everything. And I realized that I need to get to a point where I don't hang out at the crime scene. Then I identify what happened and you feel the feelings and you do the thing, right? You do all that stuff that you need to do around it. And then you leave the crime scene and you go about your life. Does that make sense, Christina? Like this, this obsession so with always hanging out in the problem is what caused a lot of suffering. 
Well, and that's the addiction to excitement. The first time I saw that in character traits, the laundry list in ACOA, I thought, you know, excuse me, F you, I'm not addicted to excitement. I'm an introvert. I, I want, you know, no longer do I put myself in those kinds of situations. But as I went through my history, I started to realize that yes, I was. And I was addicted to excitement, even if it was living other people's, you know, hearing the latest thing and what's up? Oh, tell me about that. Tell me what's going on. And it was so bad for me and my nervous system. But at first I had to recognize that I was doing it, which is what was great about that program. I didn't start working uh, steps in adult children of alcoholics until about 15 years into my recovery. And it brought a whole new level of awareness about, you know, maybe I wasn't causing the drama, but I was sitting, you know, throw, I designing it with putting throw pillows up and living in it. And I just can't do that anymore. And one thing that we haven't covered is rumination and what that does. And it, to be able to interrupt your rumination is a skill. And I think that the quickest way to do that is to reach out, like Tiffany was saying, reach out to somebody shared this is what's going on i think that's why these kinds of rooms are healthy and helpful and meetings as well love that you know and you know this not hanging out there and this identification of being able to kind of stop that in its tracks and then being able to move on i think that really is what recovery is all about right um Sure you is. know, it's just being able to kind of identify what's up. And I, I wanted to acknowledge some stuff that's in the chat. Deanna said uh, when she was talking about the cell phone, she mentioned that she plugs her cell phone into the kitchen at night. And she's also somebody who makes her bed first thing in the morning. So I thought that was interesting. And then, um, you know, Sam had a really great comment. Uh, about, uh, uh, about, you know, the best days sober and, uh, the worst days sober are better than her best days drinking. So, uh, I, I, I love that. Right. I love that. So thank you for all of your, all of your comments. They are really great. If you would uh, like to share today, please definitely raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage. Um, let's go to, uh, Shana real quick, who just joined us. How you doing, Shana? Hey, good morning. <laughs> um, thanks for the invitation. Um, I'm popping back in. It's been a while since I came to um, one of these meetings and I've been, I sort of had to reset my sobriety clock. So I'm getting really close to another day 30, which I'm very excited about. And um, just listening to, you know, the discussion since I joined um, the room, it's funny how, uh, you know, serendipity seems to pop up um, but I'm reading uh, the, the um, oh gosh, what is the book? Um, I'm reading a book that everybody has recommended to me forever about um, storing, like how we store trauma in the body. And um, just the body what we keeps would, the score. Know. That's it. Yes. Thank yes. you. Body keeps the score. Um, and what, you know, you were just talking about, about um, coming back to the, you know, living the scene, the crime and kind of ruminating on past traumas and how, you know, I realize the book is really about like big T trauma, but I have this sense that we, you know, I, anyway, I'll speak for myself that I tend to do the same thing um, with little T trauma. And it really, that I've become accustomed to that drama and maybe even some of the other like emotions that, you know, came up and that I was trying to numb 
out with um, drinking, even the like depression. Um, and so, you know, this last 30 days has been fabulous. My energy is coming back. I'm very happy about it. And, um, you know, reading this book has just been, you know, fabulous. So I'm, I'm glad I joined today and that it was something that even connects to what I'm, you know, ingesting uh, by reading. Um, but I know the topic is what, you know, planning the week. And um, since I'm a couple, you know, tomorrow will actually be, you know, my 30 day, um, 30 days. I'm trying to think of some like small way to celebrate that. Um, I mean, I noticed that I, you know, I've had to work a lot on uh, not overspending because I, you know, like the, the thing that triggers dopamine hits for me can be the like online shopping. So I'm really trying to not do that. Um, so I don't want to like get myself a thing, but you know, I'm trying to think about like an activity that would be fun. Um, or I don't know, like maybe I'll just, it would still be buying, but like a, a couple flowers or something that are generally cheap. So sober week is going to involve that. And then also, um, meeting my partner's parents, um, out on the coast to, you know, visit for a while. And that's another thing that I'm, I'm happy to be doing because, you know, they don't drink at all and it will be lovely to just be out there and not have the expectation that, you know, comes with camping that you're going to be imbibing. So, um, I'll stop there, but thank you so much for the, um, for the space and for the topic today. Thank you so much. And congratulations, Shana. Is it Shana or Shana? It's Shana. Shana, the third one. Okay. Thanks for letting us know. Um, that's amazing. And, and I hope you do celebrate it uh, with something that's special to you. I, uh, I just loved everything that you had to share. And the body keeps the scores. Uh, we've actually done book study on this platform before because it's an astonishing book and uh, if and it, it speaks to a lot of what I often share about which is you know it's going to go somewhere and for those of you who haven't read it it's it's a difficult read um, especially if you came out of trauma uh, big t trauma but also little t trauma and it just illustrates so well from a scientific point of what each and every one of us still has to deal with and if you're generally in recovery it's safe to say that that there is trauma in your history um, we did a show on it last week where we defined trauma and, and the definition <clears throat> is that any time uh, something occurs in which you didn't feel safe uh, in and so that kind of helps uh, for people who think that that trauma is just you know the the big t there's plenty of it. And, and I think, and I've said this before, I think that we have all been through trauma in the last two years. All, um, generally speaking, I think it's safe to say that probably everybody felt unsafe at one point in time when COVID hit. And so it's, it's interesting uh, that uh, we have to, I mean, I don't know if it's interesting. I think it's a blessing that those of us in recovery have to address it. And so if anybody ever has a doubt that, um, that it's affecting them physically, that, that book will change your perspective pretty quickly. It's a really significant book and congratulations. And I hope you have fun camping. Yes. Congratulations on the 30. That is, that's a huge accomplishment. I, I love you know, we've done so much stuff on trauma, Christina, and I think that it is the 
is isn't it really the big discovery in the last 50 years of recovery? I mean, yes. I think this is the big thing. You know, I mean, the 12 steps and the whole founders of AA and all of that, you know, it that's such amazing accomplishment and such a breakthrough. And you know, it's funny, the more we get into the science, the more a lot of those concepts are proven true. But one of the things that they didn't discuss, you know, you know, in the 20s and in the 30s was trauma. And I would say that over the last 10 years, we have had so much information about how trauma plays a role in addiction and about what actually is going on with people. And it's so helpful because I think so many people thought that it was about character defects, right? We talk about this a lot, Christina, when really it's just a pattern of coping. And being able to change those patterns of coping is what it's really all about. Um, I'd like to welcome Teresa to the stage. How you doing, Teresa? How are you planning your sober week today? <laughs> I'm trying to do better. It's kind of hard. <laughs> I, I keep messing up, you know, with my younger son. I, uh, I have patterns of behavior that I can't seem to break. <laughs> so um, my, I'm planning on not reverting back to that behavior. So, yeah, like minding my own business. <laughs> so I wanted to ask Christina on that book, Becoming Your Own, Is It Loving Parent? Oh, I put the title in the chat. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see it. No, that's all right. I just <laughs> did the loving parent guidebook and it's oh, a follow-up okay. to the ACA 12 step book, um, which is fabulous. And if you haven't, if you haven't done the 12 steps in ACA, it's a great place to start once you have a support team around you, because the work is hard, it's subtle, um, and it should not be done alone. Um, but the loving parent guidebook is a wonderful, it just drills it down even more. And they focus a lot on the physical, um, the physical inner child, the physical inner teenager. And it's just, it's really, really good work. Yeah. Um, somehow it's hard for me to identify that way because my dad quit drinking when I was three. And then when he would drink in his later years, it didn't affect him none. So it's, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I'm here just taking notes. And um, when I can't hear exactly, then I'll, I'm feel like up on stage saying, well, what's the title of that book? <laughs> so, Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Teresa. It is hard to to look at our life in that way. Um, and I, I will say that there are some circuit speakers um, that would say if you are in a room of recovery, then addiction has affected your life. And uh, ACOA is actually adding dysfunction. So it will not it will no longer be adult children of alcoholics. It'll be well, it will be that and dysfunctional families. And uh, what I know about the family disease, and I think everyone here knows that once we quit drinking, but if we don't address, address our symptoms, 
um, and we don't have that spiritual awakening, uh, there's still plenty of things that can happen within a, a home. The other thing that we have, have started to learn in Science is Caught Up is understanding that um, epigenetics play a major role. So even if your parents didn't drink alcoholically um, and their parents did, that that has actually changed your DNA and your nervous system has been affected. And they're starting to be able to see that it goes back seven generations. Um, and so nobody has to have a drinking parent, um, an alcoholic parent to belong to that program. It is an amazing, the, the workbook um, is so good and it is, uh, speaks to a lot of the trauma work that is out there and the, the tools that they give you are, bar, I mean, so fabulous. So I highly recommend it for anybody who wants to order it. It's just, uh, I don't think it's very expensive. Um, and you can just start working with somebody on it and bring a lot of healing into your life. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know that my father had dysfunction when he was growing up. I have no idea about my grandfather and as far as my extended family, whether they recognize it or not, it doesn't matter. I'm only here for my recovery. So with that, I'm complete. I think too, a lot of the times, Christina, is that why I think this change in languaging is so important regarding ACOA or any of this stuff is that, you know, we only know a certain amount about our parents. You know, uh, they were around before we were on this earth, obviously. Uh, and we don't know if they have been affected by addiction and, you know, having being a codependent, let's say, and, and having a parent that never drank, right? If they're a codependent, they might've had a father who drank or a mother who drank or an uncle or whatever. It's this dysfunctional pattern though, not necessarily about the substance or the response, right? It's really about this dysfunctional pattern. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Justin, for coming up. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm blown away. Thank you. Thank you so much for discussing these things. I, I can't even, I, I thought I was going to come on nothing against 12 steps because I, I still attend somewhat. Um, but I love that you guys are talking about trauma. I love that you guys are talking about epigenetics. I would not be talking to you right now if it wasn't for healing that root issue of trauma. I, I went to 30 different rehabs or so. Um, I failed for 17 years straight. I was on opiates uh, for those 17 years. Uh, tried many, many rehabs to get off and nothing ever worked. I, I really tried hard too. I, um, I did the steps daily. I mean, I went to meetings daily, sometimes two, three meetings a day. I did the steps, nothing seemed to work and and I just couldn't understand why I um couldn't stay clean and right before I was about to end it all all of a sudden I saw a special on Vice about Ibogaine and I went down to Mexico and lo and behold I discovered that I was raped when I was three years old and had no idea about it whatsoever it was a suppressed memory um I, I watched the memory after about a minute and a half and I felt it like a race. I tried to get it back because I wanted a little bit more information um, on who this was, exactly what happened, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, the medicine wasn't showing me that. Um, 
and I came back home and for some reason I didn't feel the same and I didn't feel the same usually when I do uh, get clean other addictions pop up you know whether it's gambling sex spending um, any of the above really and none of that happened when I got back and this started to fascinate me um, it, it just seemed like that one memory being erased from my head led me to this path of not having any depression anymore, no anxiety like I had before, no signs of PTSD. Um, definitely haven't had a craving in nine years and don't consider, I don't even introduce myself as an addict anymore because I don't feel comfortable saying that. I believe that words hold power and I, I don't believe I'm an addict anymore. Um, I work with addicts. I, you know, I handle medicine all day long um, and medicine that most addicts would love to get a hold of. It's just not in my scope anymore. And I truly believe that this happened just because of that one Ibogaine experience. Um, I believe that did that cure me of all my issues? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm nine years clean and I'm still you know, shedding off layers and layers. Um, I, I don't feel as comfortable in 12-step meetings anymore because of the language. Um, I do attend psychedelics and recovery meetings, which is now international, and there's, I think, 22 meetings a week. Um, but I feel a little more comfortable in there because of the language. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about shadow work. We're talking about holding space for others. We're talking about um, trauma and an ACA work, which I absolutely am loving right now. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say enough for this chat. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I actually, I have to get off a little bit early because I'm about to make not the best decision and um, I'm going to look at a new car and maybe I shouldn't, but you know, um, that addiction is still kind of there. Um, but I'm calling myself on it, so I'm probably not going to go through with it, but I'm just taking a look. Um, but anyway, well, thank yeah, you, I, Justin. Thank you for having me, though, Damon. Thank and you thank so you much. for having this uh, conversation. Is there any way I can add this group so I can? Um, yeah, absolutely. Add to add the group and also join us on Recovered Life uh, by clicking the link above. It's a private community. You can join for free. Um, and thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. I want to make sure we get to Emerald and Brett real quick. Emerald, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I appreciate y'all for holding the space today. Um, always, uh, always a pleasure to see you. I'm going to keep it short because I know we're we're in there. Um, and uh, I just wanted to um, speak to the topic real quick because um, last week uh, was not the best. Um, actually, there was like a really, really, really tough day. Um, uh, where I had to approach the judge for a travel past. However, the week before I was weird. Um, so I had to make a decision on, you know, how am I going to get this done? Because um, I have a DUI pending case. Um, so I have the breathalyzer in my car, but I can't drive without the portable device. So, um, you know, approaching the judge, super nervous. God, I couldn't even eat, sleep, anything. Every time I go see a judge, it's like, oh, my God, are they going to give me the death penalty? Of course, I'm going to go to the extreme, right? Um, but, I mean, I haven't had anything to drink today. Is uh, I mean, it's since January 28th, uh, 2021. So still going good. Um, but um, what I, I had to really get into was 
continuing to center myself and remember I can't control what this judge says. My life is literally in her hands at this moment on whether or not I can transition to another vehicle. Um, she told me I could travel, but if I travel, I cannot drive locally. Um, that was the outcome. And then the next outcome was, um, I was like, well, what if I said that, you know, I'll stop my work, I'll just decline the work that I have, which the work that I have is I have an invitation to attend the White House Correspondents Dinner, pre-dinner reception, um, and to perform at, a, at an embassy, um, and to network at a lot of high-level events within a four-day time span. And for me, that's the biggest event of the year for me as a published journalist, as an entertainer, as a vocalist. I book some of my biggest gigs with those people who I meet there in that space. So for me, and then we have an album that we're promoting right now with the band um, was my first song that I'd recorded since my head injury. So for me, this was such a big deal. But then I had to think, a step, take a step back and say, you know, um, I'm not able to go there because what about my day-to-day -day life? How am I gonna get to work here? How am I gonna get my kid and myself to, to doctor's appointments? Now I have physical therapy. So I had to really take the principle of the serenity prayer and really just think about what I did have control over in that five minutes. And I had to sit here and say, okay, I don't have control over what she's gonna say, but I do have control over my ask. So I reframed the ask and I said, I'll choose not to travel if you will allow me to travel around locally so that I can transfer in while my vehicle's being repaired, transfer into another car. Um, in my sobriety, I'm really embracing that, but some days are really, really tough um, to, to, to just in the moment, just say, that's fine. It's whatever she says. I can't worry about that. I, I am going to worry about that. You know, I have to depend on another person's decision in order to live my life today. Even though I'm better than I used to be, that, 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 that's cool. But I still have to deal with the consequence of my action. Um, you know, uh, so uh, this week, um, my plan, um, my plans this week are, um, you know, to make sure that I'm keeping my happiness first. Um, I've got to do what is going to serve me. Um, because in turn, that'll serve my family, it'll serve my career, it'll serve um, my community. Um, and uh, so I, I wanna just make sure that I'm putting that first. Um, I'm working on uh, dis discipline. I'm working on a, a lot more discipline. So what I, I started putting in my Amazon shopping cart is I put a planner in there, um, a detailed scheduled planner to help me um, kind of see what all I've done because some weeks go by and I don't know, I know I've done a lot, but I'm having a hard time tracking everything that I've done um, during my production time. So, um, you know, with, with this, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a little tough because the mobile devices are on back order. I was granted permission to move around locally. Um, you know, I, I am, my band's super disappointed, but you know, they, they're like, damn it, Emerald, you're the, you're the featured singer. You're the vocalist. You're the one, you're the voice. And I'm like, but I can't, man, I got this, I got this legal thing. I have no control over that. And they really have to understand that I can do everything from the state of Texas, but if I leave here, I can't be gone for more than 24 hours. And that's all I got. And for me, I'm not, the, my reframe for that is, I'm not living in a box right now, and I could be. I really could be living inside of a jail cell, but I'm not today. I'm, I'm outside. I get to be with my family. I get to have a day-to-day, -day, 
and I'm super grateful for that. So uh, sticking to discipline is my, my big plan for this week and to get more organized and scheduled um, and uh, really make sure that I'm putting myself first um, so that way I can uh, be a better service. Uh, and I'm Emerald and I'm done. Thanks for the space. Thank you so much, Emerald, for your share. A lot of great stuff there. I want to make sure we could get to Brett before we end the discussion here. Brett, how are you? Hey, I appreciate um, this discussion so much and, uh, and that we're at the end of our time. So I want to make this really quick. Um, I, I've, I've had a lifetime of, of experiences most everybody here has and everybody in life does. Um, I grew up alcoholic household severe. Um, although my parents are still alive, they've been sober for 40 years. Um, I had a very successful career on paper, but through it, I was rattled with insecurities and self-doubt through the whole career. And then the big T happened four years ago, and I, I did everything I could to cope with it. And I ended up sitting down with a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I, I just so much wanted to stop feeling everything I was feeling. And 12 to 14 months of that, it got prog it progressively got bad really, really quick. And I knew that I was killing myself with it. And I knew I was being a horrible example for my family on how to deal with life. And I had to change it. I looked up AA, it said, the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. And I had that and I went to AA and I am grateful because that 12 step program got me sober, but it did not get me emotionally sober. Um, I, I was sort of left out there um, in a mess and I had discovered through suggestions of people, I, I ultimately got to a book called One Breath at a Time by Kevin Griffin that synced the Dharma recovery with the 12-step recovery and how they fit together. And that led to a series of other books on Dharma recovery, audio books. I, I, I found that every time I got in my vehicle, I would turn on talk radio and it would have me sour so fast. And I have completely quit doing that. When I get in my car and I have to go somewhere, I'm always on a recovered podcast a recovery um, audio book. And I have continued to read books that are starting to click with me. And I have finally evolved at both sobriety and emotional sobriety. And I know it's not a plateau that I will rest on. I have to keep working on it the rest of my life. So I start every day with, with daily reflections, both for the empathic soul and for, for the sobriety. And then I, I tear into this material and I have to keep learning every day or I will fall back and in your conversation just sparked all those um, thoughts. Thank you so much, Brad. Such great stuff there. Uh, this has been an amazing discussion, Christina. I, it was so good. I, uh, I got so much out of it about planning my weekend recovery. I hope all of you did as well. Um, any final thoughts, Christina, before we close this discussion? Just a quick request, Brett, if you wouldn't mind putting the name of that book in the chat for people, that would be great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, what a, what a nice way to start our week. Everybody have a beautiful week. Damon, thanks again for uh, letting me come on today. Absolutely, you know, thank you, Christina. and. By the way, if anybody is struggling out there and needs a reboot, really needs to look at their recovery, maybe have a fresh pair of eyes on it, uh, Christina offers an amazing one-hour free call 
to help kind of get you back on track. And can you explain that, Christina? It's really a get back on track call, right? Yes. So just kind of find out within an hour where you're at and where sure. you want to go and where you need to go. Right, exactly. And, and this is for everybody who's in the room. Uh, you definitely, if, uh, you know, Brett put it so eloquently, if you are struggling with emotional sobriety um, and want to have a, a, a real good discussion about what's going on with you, maybe off of air, you know, privately, uh, I'm happy to sit down with you. We'll go through some resources and, and point you in the right direction. Yes, and it's so, so worth it, guys. I will tell you, uh, it is a game changer. So you can connect with Christina Dennis literally by clicking the link above, finding her picture. You can book those there. She's reserved two calls uh, for the Recovered Life community this week, totally for free. So you can do that, or you can connect with her on Recovered Life. And all you have to do is go to info.recoveredlife.us, and you can join the network, connect with Christina, connect with myself. Guys, we hope you have an amazing week in recovery here. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.